This is How I Hire, podcast episode four, Tom Gardner, Own Your Hiring and Firing Decisions. Hi, and welcome to This is How I Hire, a podcast that gives job seekers and hiring teams the insider's view on exactly what executives consider as they recruit top talent. I'm your host, Amy L. Adler, and I'm the president of Five Strengths Career Transition Experts, an executive resume writing and career transition firm headquartered in Salt Lake City, Utah. Find us at fivestrengths.com and thisishowihire.com. What happens to an executive's hiring process when they go from a Fortune 500 to a smaller corporation to founding a business? Tom Gardner, CEO and founder of CircleOp, tells This Is How I Hire that not much changes. All the foundational principles remain the same. By way of background, Tom founded CircleOp, an app that guides meeting leaders and participants to maximize the effectiveness of work meetings. Prior to founding this company, he served as COO and general manager of Trailhead Engineering, capitalizing on a long executive career that began in design engineering. In this episode, Tom and I discuss how he came to rely on his well-developed set of best practices for learning about and selecting candidates, and when he broke those rules to hire quickly and fire thoughtfully. Friends and fellow executives, please welcome Tom Gardner to This Is How I Hire. Hello and welcome to another episode of This Is How I Hire. I am your host, Amy Adler, and I have the distinct pleasure of having with me today, Tom Gardner. Tom is the CEO and founder of a really cool app called Circle Op, and he's also been an executive in the oil, gas, power industries, and he's worked as a consultant as well. So I know he has a ton of experience on every side of the interview desk, um, and I look forward uh, to hearing his expertise. So Tom, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Amy, and thanks for having me here. It's awesome. I am so glad that you are here. Um, we've known each other for some time, and I've long had uh, the um, the pleasure and of the benefit of your expertise um, and and learning from you all the time. Um, and I'm glad that we have our the conversations that we do because they always take a turn um, and go into an interesting direction. And today, I hope that you will share your experiences um, on the process of hiring, how you think about it. Yeah, sounds good, and I'm looking forward to it. Wonderful. Thank you. So why don't we start with maybe an unusual question? Um, everybody started somewhere. And I'm always curious to know what uh, people's first interview experience was like. Maybe this was back when you were a kid or maybe you were in university. Um, what, did, what was it like for the first interview that you um, undertook to, to get your first job? Um, yeah, so I think I was working really pretty young on a couple different things, but my first interview for a real job was um, in high school, probably. And I'm thinking, so this is between my junior and senior year of high school, and I, I grew up in Kansas in a rural college town, Manhattan. 
Um, this was to date me here and let you know how old I am. This is probably like the summer of 90, let's see, maybe 94, 93, 94. Um, and what I was looking for some work. I, I did a lot of sports and I like to be outside. I still love to be outside. And back then we didn't have internet um, pervasive like we do today. You know, there weren't job postings. And I looked in the, I was looking in the Manhattan Mercury, which is our local newspaper for classifieds, for something I could do. And for some reason, I thought it would be interesting or unique. And I did this on my own. I found a posting for a job to be a roofer. So I'm laying shingles, putting roofs on in the dead of the hot Midwest summer, you know, extreme humidity. For some reason, I thought this would be a good idea. Um, and so I called this guy that was looking for someone to help roof houses. And really, to be honest, the interview process, I think it was probably illegal for him to employ me. Now that I think back on it, I was only like 16 years old, um, being up on a roof, everything that I did. Um, but, you know, it's summertime in Kansas. And really, he just cared that I had a pulse um, and I was willing to show up. So I interviewed. I think I needed to get a tool belt and a hammer um, and show up. And then we played it out. And it was a great job, good opportunity, interesting thing. But really, the way it worked for him is he looked for people. I ended up staying on the whole summer. People came and go. But if I showed up and I was willing to work and he paid me every week. So if he didn't, I probably wouldn't have showed up. But there were people that came that first week and some, they'd be gone by midweek or even by the middle of the day if they didn't work out. And that was the, I think he more interviewed on the, on the job as we were working. That's kind of how that went. Um, and it was a big education for me of getting involved really in construction and everything that goes along with that in an early age. It sounds like a trial by fire or perhaps by the sun at least. Um, yeah. And hopefully as, as your career progressed, the qualifications that you demonstrated were, were beyond that you showed up on time and um, carried a hammer and had a, had a, um, a pulse. Um, it sounds like there was more. Yeah. Um, he was more concerned about reliability um, and training you, which it sounds like you, you stuck to. Um, yeah. And it was hard work. I mean, that was hard work. I can only imagine. To be honest. And, and he, and I made, I did not make good money. <laughs> But I was willing to do it. You know, I like sports. I like being outside. I remember even that first week, just like standing in the shower and the tar and everything coming off of you and just pain in your neck and you're, you're on an incline all day. It took me a week or two until like the fiberglass and stuff, your skin gets tougher. You're not getting all these little slivers. But uh, I can understand why people weren't staying and also why people, you know, it was, it's tough. It was tough work, but it was good for me. And I just kept going because I didn't know any better. Uh, I just kept doing it. Well, something about persistence comes to mind um, and, and stick-to-itiveness, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So fast forward then, shall we say, um, to mm -hmm. your leadership career, which I know is deep and broad. Um, at some point, you were now the person making the hiring decisions. What was your first hire on that side of the table like? Um, yeah, I remember this one actually pretty well, a lot better than my roofing job. But 
at the time, I was in my late 20s. I'd worked in Southern California for a few years for, as mentioned, my background was energy. So I did specialized equipment for oil and gas and power. I was in Southern California for a while as a design engineer, then project engineer. And for some reason, I got recruited and hired to another job. And it brought me back to Utah to be in a management role. And this was in 2005. So I got hired on as a manager for the first time. Um, and I was, I think, the youngest manager in the company. Um, not super experienced. I had a master's degree in engineering at the time. But not a lot of experience, you know, I was still pretty young. And this is a Fortune 500 engineering firm, but a small group that was growing super fast. And so they hired me probably too late. Um, and I was up to my ears or just drowning in work. And I'd been hired on like in October of 2005. One of my first tasks was actually to staff up the team for some more design help. And I was hiring a designer. And I was naive. I'd never, I didn't have any training. I'd never hired anybody. I'm in a Fortune 500 corporation with all types of rules. But, you know, these guys were awesome. They were super supportive. Um, I needed some help fast. And so out of just sheer need or desire, everyone, I let my whole team know, hey, I'm hiring. Um, let me know if you have recommendations. And that first within that first week or two, I got a recommendation for this guy. His name was Mark Amos. And hey, I know this other designer, Mark Amos, I worked together with him for years. He was one of my employees gave a reference and I said, okay, um, give me his resume. I'll talk to him. And this guy, I, I called him. He drove down from Logan, Utah to Sandy where I was working and in South Jordan, South Jordan where I was working. And uh, I interviewed him and I gave him an offer like pretty quick. You know, I had some standard questions, things I wanted to know, but I had a good reference. Um, and that's all it took for me. And Mark Amison actually ended up being an awesome hire. He was with me until the day I left that company in 2010. So he's there for, for the whole time I was there. Um, so that was my first hire and it was out of sheer desperation. And I got lucky with my first one. Um, and yeah, it was great. He was kind of a quirky, interesting guy, but I loved him and he, he proved to be a great talent and resource for the company long-term. What a great story. What a great story. Um, it sounds like the referral, the internal recommendation carried a lot of weight. Um, it did. I think I, I just got super lucky on my first one, but I was desperate and someone had an option for me that was easy. We actually had recruiters giving us resumes and things, and I did hire some people through recruiters in that same position. But by far, um, yeah, the referral or people you know or people that know you that work with your team, that's, that's like golden. That's, that's, that's the easiest way to hire by far is through that method for me, for finding talent. I've heard similar stories um, both here on the podcast, but just sort of in my career that uh, referrals basically jump the line, that they, they get a leg up, they get um, an early um, audience, if you will, um, because they come from a trusted resource. And I love hearing stories like that because it corroborates what we at least in my industry, in the careers industry, um, believed to be conventional wisdom, but it bears out on the practical side, which is if you can have somebody recommend you, you're going to get 
um, a hearing, an audition, if you will, sooner. Yeah, it's not, not even just a hearing, but you're going to get like, assuming someone's seriously hiring, if I get a referral from an employee or someone I trust or whatever, not only are they getting a hearing, they're getting like the opportunity to basically not lose the job. Like uh, you're going to pay attention to that person um, a lot more than someone that a recruiter brings me. Um, that's just how it is. So just to, to digress for a second. So if somebody, uh, an internal recruiter or a third party recruiter recommends a candidate that feels different to you. Definitely. Yeah. Totally different. Qualitatively or maybe in a, in a very practical sense, how does that play out in, in your head or on literally on your desk when you're starting to make offers for interviews and so on? Um, is there some sort of, um, well, well, there's a few reasons why it does to me, and maybe this is skewed. Um, one is experience. So I've hired people through recruiters and stuff and I've had, uh, different win rate, I guess I would say, or just like satisfaction rate. Um, but inherently like the recruiter employer relationship is different than like, uh, like an employee reference relationship. So to some degree, there's a conflict of interest with the recruiter. Um, and that plays out inherently, but the reality is like, if I have an employee that that actually references a peer that they want to come and apply or have me take a look at, um, you know, what, what, what's going to happen with that employee? I mean, the reality is that employee has to like live with that person day in, day out. Now, if we hire them every day, like as long as they work there, they're going to deal with it. Now the recruiter, um, they live with their reputation and everything, but, I'm just saying, like, the, if it's the wrong guy, they move on, they get another person. They're not, they're not dealing with it in the same way. So, so I think for me that that has a different feel um, just because of the inherent relationship of the recruiter. Now, the recruiter does want to have a good experience for me. They're, they're incentivized to do so, um, and it guarantees them, like, recurring business. But it's just, it's just different. Um, and unfortunately – you know, my network or referral system, depending on how fast or what your needs are to grow or hire quickly, you probably can't hire everyone by people you know. And so there is a need. Um, and you shouldn't, you know, there's probably other talent out there that you're missing out on if you were only doing it via referral. But um, recruiters probably actually like, like probably like third or fourth on my list of preferred methods of, of interviewing and hiring people. Um, and referrals definitely probably number one. Okay, so that that definitely begs the question of what are what's two and three if if recruiters are sort of down the list. Yeah, yeah. So, you know which one I really for some reason I like quite a bit. It's kind of bizarre, but I enjoy. Um, you know, you may have a job posting and you get a bunch of applicants. Um, that's okay, but one that I really like is there are the occasional people that actually just reach out to you. This may be bad because you get a lot of this mess sometimes, but I don't mind actually someone that's ambitious that is reaching out in your industry or they've researched your company and they just, they find a creative way to connect with me, whether that's walking in my office somehow and sweet talking the secretary or whatever. 
and they're like, they want to learn more and just like, hey, looking for an opportunity there. Those are actually next to referral. I kind of like, uh, I like the people that almost cold call you with persistence. Um, you know, if they're annoying or whatever you pass, that's one thing. But actually someone that really wants to know more about your company and reaches out to you and finds a way to connect with you and is wondering how they can help or get involved. That's actually a pretty good hire for me. Um, and secondly, like if I have a good posting and I, and I have it screened and I have someone that's ambitious that's trying to, again, figure out a way to get involved with what your cause is and your mission and what you're doing, that's actually a pretty good way. And then recruiters probably after that. So this is really interesting because what you're calling cold calling, you're, you're number two. Um, your, your number two strategy yeah. in which candidates find you somehow. This is a strategy that, that I coach on all the time. Um, we call it informational interviewing. Maybe we need to find a better word and maybe cold calling is really what it is uh, or cold emailing now in the age of, of, of course, electronic communication or LinkedIn. Um, but to be um, willing and interested to know something, to learn something that, that you don't know um, and, and to find the one person who can answer the questions that you have that you can't possibly find somewhere else. Uh, that is the purpose of, of, I think, a good informational interview is to figure out the lay of the land. And the hardest part, interestingly, is getting the attention of that person. So you talked about somehow getting past um, the gatekeepers and so on. Um, so that strikes me as, as sort of the uh, bottleneck in the process for, for people who are trying to do exactly what you're inviting them to do. And I'm not saying that it's a bottleneck in your organization or your system. Obviously, you, you like this. But some people find it really hard, um, A, to put themselves out there, but B, to figure out exactly what to say so that they're not shut down. What would you say to those folks? Yeah, man, it's super hard, especially when you have information overload. So I I personally get like... I get messaged on LinkedIn all the time um, and a lot of it's noise and, and some of it's just like mailers or something. I don't know. People looking to, Hey, do you need help with dev services? I'm somewhere and I can do this remotely and I'm the best in the world. I mean, there's so much noise with today's information. And so it, it is super hard. And you know what though? My, my advice is actually, that's not a bad thing because because when it's hard and somehow you find a creative way to still stick out in today's environment, um, you got to be in it and figure it out. Like you got to figure out how to, how to somehow like find if you, if you're trying to work at circle op or my company now, or if I want to go work at someone else, like how do let me figure out how I cut through the noise. And if I, it's going to be different for each person in each organization with their hierarchy and their barriers. Or it, whether there's a lot or none, but if you actually can crack that nut, uh, that's already like you've actually, that's most, like I said, like a referral is number one, and that would be number two. If someone's actually figured out how to do that for me, um, that's why they're already, that's why they're headed, head and heels above the other people. They've found out a way to pique my interest uh, or get me interested in, okay, who is Amy? Like, I want to talk to her now. Like, maybe there's something we could do together. Um, and I'm not saying there's one answer like, oh, yeah, you should go knock on their door and sleep overnight. And pray. Like, I don't know. It depends on the person in the organization of how they're going to break through at that time to those people. 
but that's part of the game. Um, and it is hard. It is absolutely hard. And that's not a bad thing because uh, if you can figure out how to do it, that's qualifying yourself for that opportunity. So I'm going to throw it out there that I've heard all sorts of quirky stuff that people try. Um, and I don't know, I don't, I don't find it offensive. I just find it really weird. Um, so I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe should make a distinction between, you know, sending somebody a cake and, you know, sending them a well-crafted message about something very specific. I think there's a, there's a substantive difference between the two. Um, but again, I don't want to, I don't want to speak for you, but that seems like a. Yeah. And for sure. I mean, the reality is my only advice there is when you do crack the nut or if you figure out how to rise above the rest, make sure you're doing it in a way that's sincere and is you. So the interview process itself, which we haven't really talked about, I think the most important thing there is to you're trying to understand your employer and your employer is trying to understand who you are and what you are. Like if you can start to understand each other, um, that's what you're really trying to do. So if, for example, what I mean by this is, yeah, if I send Tom Gardner, like if I stalk his family and send him a kid, like that, it could be a turnoff for me personally. And if that's sincerely who you are, okay, that's fine, but you're not going to get an interview or hire. If, if that is something for me where I admire, and this is, this is where it gets interesting and it's sincerely who you are and how you go about things, Hey man, we found a good match. Um, let's pursue this further. Um, and that's part of the process is figuring out who people are uh, sincerely and, and how they operate. And if there's a good match there and the skills, talents and everything else line up, it's a home run. Um, so like one easy way that's pretty non-threatening now that's, uh, that's pretty awesome is in your, in your network digitally or whatever, um, a good way to, to break through the barriers, you got to find a mutual connection. So Amy, for example, if you, you know me, we work together. And if you were to call me and say, Hey Tom, I know what you're doing. And I got a good friend that is looking for something exciting and he's done some cool things in this space. You should, if you have time and if you're looking, you should talk to this friend. That is a referral, but it's also a way like that friend could have called you and said, Hey, you, I, I see here that you know who Tom is or you podcasted with Tom. Can you get me in front of him somehow? You know, that that's actually probably like a most non-threatening effective way is to get kind of a referral method, but um, it's an indirect referral, if that makes sense. Sure. But it's, it's the, if theoretically, in some alternate universe, I had credibility in the engineering space. Um, and I was able to do that. Of course, I'm happy to make introductions because I think they're valuable. Um, but then there's just in the way that you had that internal reference from one of your employees, the new person, the new contact comes with some degree of credibility, um, whether that's from firsthand technical knowledge um, in, in the event of, of the person working uh, with that candidate. Um, or if it's me and I don't know anything about development, then it's hopefully my um, my credibility is is enough to say, yeah, just talk to this guy. Um, and there's some there's some real value to keeping the chain going. Um, and I've heard stories, incidentally, uh, that people like referrals because the culture is perpetuated. So if you and I are friends and I like somebody, then maybe you'll like that person. You don't have to. It's not a requirement. It's not an expectation. But maybe we have some of the same values or um, we share some outlook 
um, on on work or on the industry that matches up um, and and speaks to whatever you were looking for as the hiring person. Yeah. So. Um, go ahead. No, I didn't have another thought there per se. I'm just thinking about what you're saying, Amy. But um, I think truly it is that the hard part about this whole thing is relationships and having that referral. It actually, it takes work. Like it is work. And I think we're a little bit lazy by nature. Um, so it's that, it's that grind and that work to do it. But hopefully like for me, there's some parts of my work that I really enjoy. And you may be, this may be an aspect that you really enjoy doing, or maybe something that you actually really hate to do. Um, regardless, I would say it's, it's worthwhile work. Um, it's an investment. So you need to come to terms with that of what you're trying to do in your career and how you want to go about it. And there's many ways to get there, but that could be one powerful way to do it is always focusing and working on your network because it's, it's valuable. Um, it's a huge asset. And I would say like for you, Amy, this is what you do. I, it's probably one of the biggest assets you have in your business is your network and your ability to do that. And it is work and hopefully you love to do it, but that is not everybody. Um, a lot of people, actually hate it. They hate doing it. It's, it's not fun. Well, I think there's two sides to that. I, I like it. I like it because I get to meet really cool people from all different walks of life doing all different things. And, and that's really what drives me. But most people have their careers and they're in, I don't know, engineering or whatever it is they're doing. And they're in their company and they want to stay there. And they, um, if they're on the job search side, then that's what they're seeking. And if they're on the hiring side, they'd much prefer to be doing their job than hiring people to do the work that needs to get done, because that means there's some sort of need for a new person that they want to resolve. Um, but the idea that you could sort of put all this together into, um, shall we say, a circle of a, of a connection that, um, that makes the company move forward or makes the culture move forward is, is very interesting to me and gets everybody ultimately out of the hiring and interviewing process and into the work that they love to do. And if they can make good connections along the way, then, then that's an added benefit. Yeah. Hiring is so interesting because it's not cookie cutter. I mean, I would say there's not, there's not a proven method. And the reason is they got to come in all shapes and forms. So you can be hiring like, a different position. It could be an intern, could be, you know, a senior executive, whatever. And, and because of that, um, the process I think should be different and, and is different to optimize for those scenarios. So, um, yeah, you have to be a little flexible. So what I'm hearing you're saying is that there's no cookie cutter. Clearly there's no single process that works, but you're talking about the entire gamut from intern to senior level player. Yeah. I think there's principles that are consistent in hiring that apply across the board. I personally haven't found like a cookie cutter method of hiring that I would say, I mean, in theory, like, like I'm an engineer, like in theory, like, okay, you have an algorithm and you could trace everybody's like behaviors, experience, et cetera, and find like this, this pool of perfect candidates for based off of your criteria. Um, and I know there's companies and services that try to do that. And I think 
those are probably worthwhile um, to help the matching process. But I would say, uh, dude, like part of that, I, I have to get my hands dirty and I want to get my hands dirty because I care a lot. Like hiring is probably, it's probably as a manager or executive or leader, I think it's probably your most important thing that you do is who you're picking to team up with like that, that will have the biggest impact on your company um, above and beyond like your daily activity or whatever. It's like, it's actually picking the team. But I'm, I'm told, and, and I have an MBA and we kind of weren't taught in school either, that this is not something that, that you get trained for when you learn your skill or your expertise. It's something that you have to grow into and come up with those guiding principles that are going to um, be the backbone for how you think about these things. Um, and I imagine yeah, that's personally, I yeah. did, I did not get trained for it, but I would say that's evolved a little. I mean, there are programs and there's some things out there and later I had some, some guidelines and training. Unfortunately, most of the training I see that's formalized is more around the legalities of the interview process. Like, Hey, like some HR training, basically, like <laughs> you can do this, you can't do that. That's don't ask them how probably old most of yeah, that's probably most of the guideline and training um, rather than like, okay, what is like the optimum way for you to, you know, I, I don't think actually hiring off of your gut, even though I've done that um, and it's paid off, it's probably not the best method. Um, our gut is probably wrong um, as much as other indicators. Um, I think I, I've done research on this before where it says, yeah, there's Hiring from your gut feel is not actually the best method, um, but mo most uh, great leaders probably do a lot of that, and and they believe it's the best way, and they probably get right um, sometimes, and they miss it other times. But I, you know, there are better methods of probably selecting good fits and talent. Well, do you have a overarching guiding? principle that, that you well there follow? is one overarching guiding like anyone listening to this podcast there's one piece of advice i could give you on hiring that i've learned from experience that i would say if you could take away anything this would be one mm -hmm. that i would always encourage any hiring guy so if you're hiring somebody and you have some candidates in there and you have a candidate that and this this is super hard to do but if there's if you have an inkling that uh this is funny or it's like i would say this, this may not, like I'm concerned about this area or this one thing. In my, in my experience, <coughs> if I have a concern, it's always worthwhile to pause and not extend the offer. I would always wait until that's resolved. And if there's still a question, I just say, you know what? It's just not going to work at this time. Like we're going to keep finding people because there are, there's other matches out there, but if there's, if you, if in whatever it is you can take, like whether it's from five minutes to five weeks in the interview process, you're making this determination that, of somebody that you want to bring on for and, and really be the, the fabric of your company. And if you have an inkling that there's a problem there, it's probably not worth hiring them. I would just stay away. Like just keep, keep the hunt, keep going um, unless it gets resolved or unless, uh, and if it doesn't, I would just not, I wouldn't risk it. It's not worth the risk. It's hiring the wrong person is too painful. Hiring the wrong person is just too painful. 
um, and it's just not worth it. You're, you're going to get some of the wrong people anyway. And if you already have like an inkling that it is the wrong person, uh, just don't do it, you know, hold off, um, figure it out. That would be my advice. Um, however much pressure you feel to get the, the people in the door or whatever, if there's a reason to hesitate or pause, uh, work a little bit harder, dig harder. I, I don't think I've ever heard somebody describe the process with that sort of singular clarity around getting to the right person. Um, and, and you might've heard me say this to, in the past, but I tell job seekers all the time, always run to, not away. Run to the good thing, run to the next opportunity. It actually never occurred to me until this very second hearing you talk about this, this one takeaway that you have um, about not rushing and not stumbling into the wrong thing, that on the hiring side, you should also be running to and not away. You should be running to the right person um, and, and not inching up to maybe somebody who will kind of be maybe all right. So I guess it yeah, goes I don't, I do not enjoy finding someone cause I'm desperate or finding someone like, Oh, you know what? This is good enough. It'll fit. Like it's, it's the wrong at it. Like you want to find those people. They're like, Oh yeah, I got, I do have a need. I'm desperate maybe, but like, I got no concern. Like let's give this one a go. Let's, let's, let's build the company around this guy too. And let's uh, bring him on or this girl and let, let's do it. Um, but if there's a reason that you're pausing, don't, don't risk it. I mean, cause the, we're talking about hiring here, but you could do a whole podcast on, on downsizing or firing too. Um, and I think they kind of, they are, it's related. So after you've, if you've had to fire some people or if you've had to downsize and, and do a reorg or whatever, I can promise you, you don't hire the same way you did before you did that. Um, it changes who you are. Uh, maybe for better, maybe for worse, depending on how it went down and how you handle it. But I would say um, going through both those scenarios multiple times with different things, I, I'm a different hire. And I'm not quick to fire guy. I'd like to say I'm quick to fire if there's a wrong person or whatever. Um, I probably have a different tact and I could be more aggressive. But um, I would just say don't, don't get into it's like i mean you never if you're going to marry somebody you don't you don't get married thinking like ah oh, yeah it's not it may not work out hopefully you don't do that like divorce happens it's common but the day you say your vows i mean you're pretty confident like this is who i want to be with you don't go into it saying like well maybe Let, let's just give this a go i would never recommend that it's too freaking painful to get the divorce just don't do it so in that analogy, there must be, in, in every relationship, um, marriage or, or otherwise, um, but certainly on the hiring side, where you, you're, you're, you're flipped to the decision making, you're to the point where you want to make that decision, where you want to extend that offer. And maybe there's no single thing that happens, but maybe there's a set of boxes or something that you've checked off that you... Maybe it's a, that you can't see a reason not to. I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to see where your, your head is on that. Um, well, that's interesting. <laughs> it's all situational to some degree. It depends on where you're at with your company and your needs and 
with the talent. Hopefully, if you're in a good place with your company and you're, you're always looking for a good talent. So if you ever find them on the street and they're available and you can have the ability to bring them, you do it. You, you do it every time. I'm always looking to hire. I really am. Even if I'm in the middle of a, if I have to deal with the downsides or whatever, if there's the right people, uh, I want to recruit them and I want to do everything in my power to bring them to my team. Um, that's really what, I don't care what it takes. You know, I want to do everything possible to get the right people. Um, and so when you make that switch or whatever you do, I think that's kind of situational and you take those one by one, but there is a time when it's right. Um, and hopefully you don't wait too long because people, people are a hot commodity and, and the great ones, they don't stick around for you. Um, and you got to act. So I don't know. I mean, I would say for the right fits and the right people, um, an employer or a manager or a leader should always be looking to hire. Always. You may say, Oh yeah, we don't have money. What? You know what? I'm always looking for the right, for the right people to take us to the next level. Always. That's actually really refreshing to hear um, because I'm so often told that the, the trigger is publishing a job posting that has the following requirements and you have to be able to say, I can do things number one through five. I'm not so good at six and numbers, you know, seven, eight, nine sound pretty good. And, and somehow you have to, as a candidate, um, both predict that this job posting is going to happen and then be able to fulfill all of its requirements. And it sounds like it's a more fluid experience back to the original point of when you know somebody who knows somebody and there's this, um, this ongoing flow of conversation, maybe that person will step in at the right time and catch your eye. Yeah. Regardless of yeah, what so it, a job posting might look it like. It is. I think there is fluid and flow. So there may be a scenario in your organization, like if you're, if you have product you're shipping and receiving regularly and, and all of a sudden, like, you know what, um, something happened with your shipping and receiving clerk and they had to leave. They found a better opportunity. Something, maybe they got an accident, whatever. And you have a need, like I need a shipping and receiving clerk. And so you go and you hire one as soon as you can find one. Cause otherwise you're, everyone else is picking it up and you're doing it. So that's, that's a scenario where you're filling a need that's there right now and you're having to plug a hole or you have a new whatever product launch and you need to have a project manager over that. And you fill that role. Those are more like cut and dry. Um, at the same time, you may be, you have this organization that ships and receives every day or whatever. And all of a sudden there's a person that approaches you and is saying, well, you know what? I understand you've, You've ramped up, you ship and receive product. I specialize in forming a logistics organization where you could actually rethink the way that you do this and we could be super powerful in, in our distribution. Um, I'd like to see if I can bring that to your organization and help you with all of your logistics to reframe how you're doing it and take you, take you and your organization to the next step. Um, that's a hire that I would make like at any time, you know, I don't need a posting. I don't need whatever, but like, Oh, you know what? This guy has the experience. He's done this. He recognizes an opportunity. I'm confident that they can do it for us and put the team around him to do it. Um, we can use our, you know, those are like the things you just want to always be looking for um, as you grow your organization. That could be in operations. It could be in your sales and marketing pipeline. It could be in whatever. 
Um, but those are the things you, you always want to seek out those, those people that can, you can build the company around. Well, it sounds like somebody, the person who would do that would be the insightful one who was looking at the landscape, figuring out who you were, figuring out what problems you theoretically could be having or opportunities that you could be having. I don't want to necessarily call them problems, but things that could be better and saying, I am. Yeah, that would be ideal. Yeah, I'm a solution. That would be ideal. Sometimes, sometimes as a leader, though, you're even looking at people and you're hunting out those people because they, it's hard to have some self-awareness and piece together that strategic side of it. So there may be cases where you're like, you know what? I know we, we want to grow this way and I know it's possible. I need to find the guy that, or the girl that can do this. Um, let me see where she's at. And you start hunting for that person that you think can do it and bring that to your company. Um, and they may not even recognize it, but when you, when you find them and you interview them and try to let, yeah. And they're like, yeah, of course I'll do this. This is what I do. Um, some people just aren't good at recognizing their own strengths, abilities, and doing a strategic fit. So sometimes you're putting together a puzzle for somebody as well. And that's okay. Um, because, you know, like it or not, one thing that's super bizarre in hiring is it's like a snippet of time. You know, we don't spend our career necessarily job hunting and hiring. We spend our career working and applying and growing an organization. So in this snippet of time where you are doing that hiring or looking or whatever process, it may not be natural or super common. So you're not, you're not always doing that as a job seeker. It's just something you have to do occasionally and try to do it well. Well, from where my, I'm sitting, I hope it's something that people are doing every day, even though this is my industry. Um, I'd much rather see people succeeding. Um, and if they happen to be good, at self-promotion or figuring out opportunities, that's a bonus. But yeah, to have the, the chops to succeed at, um, on the job is really the goal and to make that company a better place and to support their leaders and that kind of a thing. Um, so if, if they yeah, have- Yeah, it's tough because you want to have good interviewees and good, good like experience there, but the reality is you're not hiring them because they're great at an interview. You're hiring them because of what, what how they're going to change who you are and who your company is and what you do. And it's going to elevate everything. That's why you're hiring them. That's gold right there. Honestly, to me, that's gold right there. Uh, so let me, let me drill down for just a second. You've been in bigger companies and of course your startup. Does that yeah. process or mentality shift when it's a, a smaller organization? Does it change? Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, extremely. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. I mean, there's a reason we do different things. So there's, there's super benefits to both. Honestly, like, there's some real great benefits to having a, like working in the fortune 500 and having all the resources to do the talent searches, screening processes, everything, you know, um, whereas when you're scrappy and doing a startup, it's very different, but at the same time, I have a tons of, like, if I want to hire somebody an hour after this call, I'll do it. Like I have so much autonomy. Um, and if I need to, you know, make adjustments, like it, it's very, very different. Um, and so, I mean, there's pros and cons to both. And I'm just grateful I've been able to experience both of those at length 
and try to take some benefits from both because I think there really are benefits to aspects of being part of a large corporation or organization with massive resources, but also sometimes a lot of red tape to even hire somebody or on the other side to fire somebody. Or to, like I was in a, I was in a scenario where we had to, um, well, we didn't have to, you don't ever have to do anything. Um, and that's one thing maybe you got to realize, but we were like, as an executive, um, the mandate was to restructure or reorg. And we had to put together a plan that we thought would work to take the business to another level. And the reality is like, Hey, you know what? My legal team and my HR staff, my plan may work for me on the business, but for HR legal reasons, like I literally cannot do certain actions. It's like too risky. Um, there's chance of litigation because of past experience. That stuff is just in my mind, like important, like to me, it's noise and garbage. Like you want to do what's best for the company. Um, and you got to consider those things, but those are, those are tough things to deal with in a hierarchical large organization. Um, that's super annoying. So you may end up actually hiring or letting go of, in my opinion, the wrong person because of certain requirements, um, that are placed on your organization. Um, and that's what happens every day, every day that happens, not only, not only the wrong person, like entire companies, entire divisions are opened and closed on a daily basis um, in America or around the world right now. Like there'll, there'll be a shutdown of some small company today. And what's the reason? It could be like super compelling or it could be super idiotic or it could be just like a PR move, whatever it is. And you got to play to all those things. And that's what can be pretty frustrating. So it sounds like having a good sense of the the whole landscape and what the organization um, has as its tolerances and capabilities, not to mention its immediate needs. Um, that's a lot a lot yeah. of balls to keep in the air, I think. Um, yeah, I think as uh, anyone that's like growing in a leadership role or position, the thing I challenge them if they're in that early stage is to recognize always. I mentioned it just a second ago, but like you're never forced to do anything. Um, and right, and, and you, and also recognize you have to own all of your decisions. So no one's going to make you fire somebody. <laughs> I mean, it may be something that has severe consequences if you don't do it, but it's still your decision, and it's okay. And own it, absolutely, own it. Um, and no one's going to make you hire somebody. It's your decision, and if they want to hire them, and you're not going to let them hire them. Okay, they can own that decision, but if it's up to you, own the decision. Uh, never feel like, uh, well, I have to do this. You know, I got everyone else likes this person. Um, or, you know, I, I told, I told the whoever's that we'd hire 10 people and we've only hired nine. I got to hire one more. No, dude, you, you do whatever. If you're going to do it, own it. Own it. So it sounds like that's a healthy blend of, um, as a leader, you're saying it's a healthy blend of empowerment and pivoting. Um, you're allowed to change your mind, so to speak. Yeah, so, you do, you so have to... an extreme example, yeah, an extreme ahead. example of this, Amy, is I'll just give you one story in, I don't even know what year this was. What is this? I want to say maybe 2012. This is my exit from corporate America. So I had taken a position with, my first employer out of college, I went back to him 
in a corporate environment. Um, they, they charged me with an opportunity that was awesome to start up a, a new kind of P&L division. And in the mix, I hired up like some great people that I knew here in Utah, got it going. And in this corporation, they were in the M&A mode. So they're buying and selling companies all the time. And at the time when I was commissioned to get this org going, um, I got executive approval at the highest levels of the board. Well, that board member that got that approval, he was on his way out in impact races. And there was a new guy that wanted to change the way we're doing it. And he said, Hey Tom, we need you to restructure this company that you've just hired these people and restructure it for this other business. We want you to kind of downsize your staff to half. And I said, you know what? I just started this out. I believe in this other, um, like this is not what I signed up for. I don't want to get rid of these. They said, well, we need you to, to do this for, and I, and I've closed comp, I've closed divisions, opened them. And I just said, you know what? I don't believe in the strategy. It's not going to happen. Um, and I gave them one plan of how to get there. What I thought they said, Hey Tom, this isn't hard. Like you can either do this or we'll take care of it. Like, you know, basically decimate this workforce that you have and, and just have like a few remaining people until we figure this out. And so I said, Oh, you know what? I will satisfy your requirements. I will take care of this for you. I said, here's my proposal. And I went back to them and I said, instead of me getting rid of the staff, except for the executives and we change plans here, I propose that you just get rid of all of us. Let's just close my division and I'll work out a settlement with you. Let's, let's do this. I'm not going to, I'm not going to just, you know, send half of these people home right now for this bad reason that I think is bad business, but I will actually close this shop if this is not something that the company wants to invest in. And literally within, you know, a few weeks, we actually closed, we closed the doors and I, and I parted ways with that corporation and we all went home and I was actually happy with the outcome. You know, I wasn't going to stick around after and stay on with what I thought was a bad strategy, but I would own, I would own an exit myself in leaving and Hey, let's try something else. So that's kind of a more extreme. And that was after I'd been through quite a few of those types of scenarios. So I, I have more confidence in what I was willing to do and live with. That's a phenomenal story. Um, not so much around hiring, clearly, but um, <laughs> honestly, around, and I wasn't there for those, the business aspect of it, so I, I really have no idea what the, the full story was. But that is gutsy and, to me, shows a high degree of integrity that you were willing to say, take us all or take none of us, and that includes me. Yeah. And it was that, and the reason I did that, and maybe it doesn't seem like it has to do with hiring, but I personally, I hired all those people. Right, right. Like less than 12 months before. So I wasn't going to, to me, it did have a correlation. Because um, I was, when I hired them, I hired them with the full belief that should they want to stay there until they work their last day of their life, they would have the ability to do so in that organization. You know, that's, I did it. In that good, like, hey, I'm providing an opportunity. And when it, when it changed, um, okay, you know, environments change, downturns happen, recessions, whatever. But this was actually just a bad business move in my mind. And there was no great reason, you know, it was just not what people had signed up for. So, okay, let's, let's actually see what we can give people with regards to a cushion and the ability to springboard into the next thing. And let's close it up. Let's use the money for that then rather than pretending and doing something that's bad business. 
I'm almost at a loss for words, which you probably know is really unusual for me, but I'm <laughs> very surprised by um, the, the vehemence with which you are describing this story. Um, but I believe in, in your, your ethics um, top to bottom. And, and for you to say that the whole thing started with, I made these folks a promise. There was a compact in place here and I wasn't going to give up on that. Um, I wasn't going to leave myself in a better position and sacrifice the good of, of the individuals that I had made this promise to. Um, you're right. Yeah, it is and on the flip side, yeah, on the flip side too, I've been in experiences where if you have a bad apple in your organ, you've got a strong team. To be honest, targeted firing can actually be pretty motivating. Like it, it's actually rejuvenating for an organization when they know like, Oh, you know what? And you're hiring people at the same time. But if there's someone that's abusive or whatever, and that happens, it's, I have no problems with that. Right. And, and it, I wasn't actually, it can be productive equivalency by any stretch. I, I wasn't suggesting that nobody should ever experience a termination for, for any reason. No. But this was and, and Amy, the reason, the reason I probably could do that at the time is it wasn't my first time even closing a company or doing what, like I've been through a couple experiences that were significant that changed how I hired and how he, how I did stuff after. I mean, I had, when I closed a division that I put my heart and soul into and it got closed for good reason. Like actually, you know what, there's, there's a good reason to do it. Um, I sent these mothers and fathers home. I did it. You know, I had people crying at my desk, whatever. And then at the end, like I held it all together and then at the end I called my wife and I'm like, Hey, I'm not coming home for a couple hours. I need to decompress. And I, I personally had to emotionally just process things for a while, but you know, because of those things, um, you hire differently than you did before. And you also fire differently and you downsize differently. And, uh, my only other thing that I'll leave, you know, I know we're going for a while, but another thing that I would like to emphasize, um, I have one takeaway. I have one more takeaway. The second most important thing isn't just like, hey, it's not worth hiring somebody if you don't feel right about it because it's not worth it. The other takeaway that I would give um, is actually like when you're, when you're in the hiring and firing process, there's, is the, the point I had before. It's just own it. Realize these are your decisions and you can own them. Um, and the more you can do that, I think the more you're going to learn, you're just going to learn from it a lot more and hopefully be better. And if you become, if you get to the point and hopefully I haven't got there yet, I don't think at all, but if I ever get to the point where um, it's too easy to hire and to fire openly, like you're actually, you probably are in the wrong job at that point. Like hire a general manager, hire someone else that can take care of those day to days because you have to, it's not that you don't care but you don't care enough anymore and you have to care enough. Um, so if you ever recognize yourself slipping and you're just like, yeah, these are like, I'm playing just checkers here. Uh, you should probably just do one more hire and find the right guy to be hiring and firing people. You know, like uh, you, you, sh you probably should step away from that and maybe just be more of a strategist or whatever or advisor or, you know, whatever, but you shouldn't be, you got to care enough. You got to care enough. So if I kind of replay this conversation in my head, it sounds like hiring is in a way 
um, or the evolution of your hiring, a person's hiring, is a form of personal growth. And it doesn't stop with the last hire. It keeps going because you have to find something to do with yourself. But the, the, the way that it sounds like you hired over time changed um, and the way that you thought about reformulating the organization on, on all those different levels has changed. Yeah. And I, I hope it's getting better. I hope it's getting better. I'm sure it is. I may not know that, but um, I would just say your experiences, um, you know, you can study up all that. And I've done quite a bit of studying on when I was trying to hire, like, Hey, what types of questions, you know, how do we get to avoid just the gut feel response in hiring and do effective hiring. Um, but actually your experiences um, as hiring can, as beneficial. I'm always grateful to get a new manager in that cares a lot about hiring and takes it seriously. To be honest though, I also really love bringing in a manager or supervisor that's actually had to fire somebody. And then I have their ability to hire is maybe different. Um, I hate to say you'd exclude somebody because the reality is everybody has to, you have to have the experiences there. You know, you got to do it. So, but I think there is a benefit of if you're having someone that's going to grow your organization rapidly, it sure is nice if they've had experience also dealing with the not so enjoyable side so that they, they know the consequences of their choices when they, when I say, Hey, take your time to make that right hire. The reason I say that is because I know what it's like to deal with a bad egg and it can really be disruptive to your team. And it's not fun to fire them either as much as it can be healthy or right. It's not, it's not a fun thing. It's not something, you know, it's not easy and it's not enjoyable. But perpetuating the right culture, perpetuating the, the ethos of the, of the team in a positive way, um, putting people together that, that work well together, that get along, that further the company's mission. It sounds all part and parcel um, of getting, getting the sense of, of what that team composition should look like and, as you say, owning it. Um, and if it's right, keep going. If you find the right person along the way for something you didn't know you needed, you bring them on. And if there happens to be a bad apple, then I guess that's part of it too. And getting rid of that person um, in a kind way. Um, yeah. And, and that's another good thing. I mean, we're talking about hiring her, but yeah. you know, getting someone that's wrong, it's not necessarily bad. I mean, it's going to happen. It's inevitable actually. Like you're going to get bad fit and it may be a bad fit for you as the, as the leadership role or maybe a bad fit for the person coming in either way. And I think actually one thing that's underutilized is there's better ways than even firing or downsizing to remedy that. Um, maybe you can find a better place for them if there's still a great cultural fit with a better skill set. but actually there's better ways to manage and communicate so that you can help people actually move on to a better fit without, you know, naturally, if you have a strong team and environment and it's uncomfortable for them, they're going to move on anyway. And that's actually the most healthy way is like, you know what? I came, we tried and we're working out, but like, actually I got to find something different. I'll help them get there. Like that's actually the best outcome. You know, there's no reason if they can do it, you know, some people will be abusive and sit on it. Those ones you got to take action, but actually most people, they want to have fun where they're working, they want it to be a good fit, you want it to be a good fit for them, 
Um, and I would force that issue sooner than later. It's like, hey, let's make sure this is working. Well, then maybe you would be the one to make that introduction to the next hiring executive to say, hey, you know what? I know somebody who's really amazing. Let me make that introduction for you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I did that actually just last week with somebody. You know, they just, the older you get, the more of those opportunities you have because your network is the small world. Well, on that note, um, do you have any other advice for the audience of This Is How I Hire? I welcome anything else. No, I just, my only other advice is I would just plug Amy Adler. If you're looking for help on something um, on your career or looking at stuff, I mean, get network with Amy. She's awesome. <laughs> That's very kind. Thank you. Not what, what I was expecting, but thank you. No, well, thank you. With that, truly, thank you for joining me today on This Is How I Hire. Um, this conversation took some turns that I, I positively could not have anticipated. Uh, I am going to go back and re-listen because I know there's just some amazing insights in here, and I, I hope our audience feels the same way. Um, so, Tom, thank you for joining me today. All right. Thanks, Amy. Thanks for listening to this episode of This Is How I Hire. Tom Gardner, CEO and founder of CircleOp, has given me a ton of food for thought in this interview. I was struck by how he emphasized not only how to hire the right candidate at the right time, but also what it means to terminate an entire work group, what the implications of that are, and how those experiences influenced his future hiring strategies. Of note, after we finished our conversation, he commented that he also wanted to add that a key element of the interview that informs both hiring and the longevity of an employee is how good the fit is and whether that candidate's story and experience will grow with the organization. I'm sure I could have had a whole additional conversation with Tom about the strategies he uses in the interview to elicit whether a candidate is a perfect fit, and I hope we have the chance to do that in the future. For now, thanks for tuning in to this episode of This Is How I Hire. You can hear all our episodes at thisishowihire.com, or you can go straight to iTunes. If you do, I hope you'll subscribe and leave us a five-star review. As always, if you are going through a career transition yourself, or if your company is about to make some changes and you'd like to support your team without placement, please call me at 801-810-5627 or visit me at fivestrengths.com. Thanks again for listening to This Is How I Hire.